let the same mind be in you, all that was in Christ Jesus, who through he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be seized, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Then being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every heavenly and earthly knee should bend, along with those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Savior, to the glory of God the Sovereign. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee, Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the name of the virgin was Mary. And the angel came to Mary and said, Rejoice, favored one, the most high God is with you. Now she was troubled by the angel's words and pondered what sort of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Sovereign God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his sovereignty there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I have not known a man intimately? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit, she will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now Elizabeth, your kinswoman, has even conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month, for she will be called she who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the woman slave of God. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm your lead pastor here at Zao. And today is the first Sunday of the season of Advent. Now, I know that there's a lot of, like, seasonal stuff going on right now, right? We've got the pumpkin spice lattes coming in and out. We've got the holiday cups. We've got pumpkins now rotting. We've got Christmas tree cutting. It is hard to keep track of all of the seasons, but according to church tradition, this season is called Advent. It's actually the new year in the church. It's when we begin again. And we begin in the time of anticipation, the time where we talk about Jesus coming to be with us because Jesus is not here yet. And this is a weird thing to do because we believe that Jesus is here, but we hold a lot of paradox in the Christian faith, in the teachings of Jesus, that Jesus is with us and arriving, that we are in the fullness of God's love and anticipating 
a, a true fullness of God's love. And Advent is the season of darkness. There's a reason that in this hemisphere it lines up with the darkening days, the lengthening nights, the cold. It is a season of waiting and anticipating, and it can be very easy to get lost in that growing darkness. Now, for you personally, is the darkness, is the winter something that you approach with delight or with dread? Maybe a bit of both? One of the most classic texts for this season, the season of Advent, is actually John chapter 1. You've heard it here before if you've been around for a little while. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into the being through the Word was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not extinguish the light. And that is kind of a key phrase associated with Advent. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not extinguish or overcome the light. Now, the darkness is not bad here in the text. Darkness is simply the unknown. But it is our fear of the unknown that makes the darkness feel bad. The light is that which has been made clear, what has been revealed to us by God. The light is Jesus, the revelation of God's love. But if the light is Jesus, then the darkness contains all else that is God and the unknown. The darkness holds the mystery of God. The darkness holds what is to come and potential. The darkness is a place where hope holds a home. Do we hope for what has already been made clear? The scriptures say that faith is hope in things unseen, hope in the darkness. The unknown, the darkness, is the domain of hope and potential and possibility. Now, especially in our culture of anti-blackness, where dark has been taken for black and light for white, we have to be extremely critical of our reflexive rejections of the dark. Our call to decolonize our faith and to have an anti-racist faith invites us to consider the darkness with curiosity and with hope. And interestingly, that is the exact intention of the season of Advent, to enter this season of darkness, holding on to the flicker of what God has revealed in Jesus and hoping to discover the fullness of God's love in the dark, in the mystery, in the potential. But it is messy. Because the darkness does not only contain the infinite and as yet unrevealed love of God. It is all that is unknown to us, including the powers and principalities of the world that cause harm. The light shines in the darkness, in the unknown, the revelation of God. It shines in that which contains all God's goodness and all the hurt and harm and oppression of the world. And neither the unknowing nor the powers or principalities will overcome what we know to be true, God and Jesus, love revealed. Now you might have noticed that this is not our text for today. We are 
in the beginning of this church year in Advent, and we spent much of the summer and fall intentionally reading the scriptures with queer voices through the book of Mark. And now as we enter into a new year, we will intentionally spend much of this coming year with Will Gaffney, a black woman, an Episcopal priest, a Hebrew Bible professor, and one of the most highly respected biblical scholars in the field. Will Gaffney has compiled a lectionary. A lectionary is a resource used by many churches. We haven't used one historically, but it is used by many churches. And it is a guide saying, we've already picked the scriptures for you to go through. We're going to walk through the story of the people of God and of Jesus throughout the year, and we've laid it out. There's years A, B, and C. Well, Will Gaffney has written year W. And with year W, we have a womanist take on the scriptures. And so she has highlighted women's stories in her introduction to the text, or to her lectionary. She asks, what would it look like if women built a lectionary focusing on women's stories? How is the story of God told when women's brutalization and marginalization are moved from the margins of canon and lectionary and held in the center in tension with stories of biblical heroines and heroes. And so she has compiled this lectionary and invited us to encounter the gospel, encounter the good news from the experience of women in the text through her own interpretation as a black woman in our culture. Who we read the Bible with matters. And for the time being, we will intentionally read it with Will Gaffney. Now, a lectionary has four texts every Sunday, and we won't read all four every Sunday, um, but it is unusual for us to have two, right? So there is usually a Hebrew scripture reading, a psalm, a New Testament reading, and a gospel. And what we heard today was the New Testament reading and the gospel. But in her full scope, she chose the story of Hagar, Psalm 71, which is about birth. This passage from Philippians, which is a song about Jesus, an announcement of who Jesus is, and the story of Mary saying yes to God's invitation to be a part of the life of Jesus. These announcements are in fancy church terms called annunciations. And annunciations communicate God's involvement in history, in ancestry, and in the descendants of people to come. It asks and answers, answers the question, as we enter into the dark season, where is God? God is with us and in us and through us, say these enunciations. God has arrived and is coming and will be. Their answer, where is God, is not a metaphysical, ephemeral, or wildly other answer. It is a physical, literal answer. Jesus takes on a human body. Now this, historically and philosophically, is the domain of women. Rosemary Radford Ruther writes about how in the ancient world especially, but even now, the earth, the body, the flesh, the blood, birth, these are the domains of women. These are associated with the feminine. And patriarchy has deemed them dirty, evil, wild, and unruly. We see that in Greek thought and through the writings of Paul. 
That phrase alone, the flesh, will cause most of us who have any evangelical background to like shudder a little bit and prepare to repent, right? The flesh. But here, we have God taking on the flesh on purpose. And again, there is no rejection of the flesh here, just as in John 1, there's no rejection of the darkness. We have layered that on over the years, interpreting through other texts and other writings. But here we have God taking on the flesh, choosing bodies, choosing birth. Psalm 71 references the way the spirit cuts a child from a belly. Now this could be a reference to an ancient form of C-section, or it could be the cutting of the umbilical cord. But either way, we have here in the Holy Scriptures a description of coming into being that does not shy away from the highly physical, bloody, messy aspects of birth. And this is how God has chosen to be with us. Jesus does not come spiritualized, intellectualized, and that which is deemed safe and acceptable by patriarchy. Jesus comes through the darkness of the womb, the bloody, terrifying mess of birth, and a body that will breathe and sleep and eat and shit and laugh and cry and bleed. Jesus chooses the flesh, and like the darkness, it just is, and it holds so much that we don't understand. It holds so much that is holy and promising and powerful. And it is notable in this text what Jesus chooses to do with that body. Here, the letter to the Philippians says, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be seized, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Now, Gaffney makes clear from the very beginning of her lectionary, where she also has interpretations. These are her um, interpretations from the Hebrew and Greek into English. She says, this volume uses slave normatively, reflecting the troubling language in the scriptures and their contexts. Slave was a contextual relationship. It was a position. It was a yielding. And the significance here is that Jesus chooses to surrender his body to God. Is not forced, is not coerced, but chooses to offer and surrender and yield to God. This is an act of ultimate trust. Rather than seizing power that is his to grab, the text is clear about that too, he could have done that. Seizing that equality, exploiting it, some translations say. Instead of doing that, Jesus surrenders, offers his power back to God, and ultimately, that is how power becomes shared. Because that beautiful passage does not stop there, but goes on to explain how that shared power becomes shared glory, how Jesus becomes exalted through that surrender. Now, the final highlighted scripture today is the story of Mary from the Gospel of Luke. We have here a young, vulnerable woman. God comes to her with a proposition. I've got a great idea, Mary. Hear me out. And right away, she's told by the messenger, do not be afraid. 
Do not make assumptions on what the darkness contains. Do not fear and reject your flesh, Mary. I've got something great. And it makes me wonder, did that messenger go to others first? Did they say no? Did they try to seize the power that they had in their bodies to exploit it? Did they refuse consent? We don't know. But we see here that Mary, just like Jesus, hears what God is up to, hears what God is inviting her to, and says, here am I, the woman slave of God. Let it be with me according to your word. And again, through that deeply troubling and complex language, we have Mary offering her consent, offering her own surrender. Gaffney writes, in Mary's linguistic and cultural world, there's no distinction between servant, which is how this passage is usually translated, and slave. Mary is not saying she will wait on God hand and foot in verse 38. She is giving God ownership over her body, ownership that slaveholders claimed without consent. Just like Jesus, she offers her surrender and brings her power into God's project. And we see through the course of the scriptures and through history how her power then, that she offers back to the collective, that she offers back to the people of God, that she offers through her surrender becomes incredibly powerful, becomes this thing that ripples through generations and generations. We are still talking about her. And we will talk about her over and over in the weeks to come as she declares the liberation of God's people. She has surrendered to God. Gaffney notes that in yielding herself to God in this way, she joins the ranks of those deemed servants, more accurately translated slaves of God, who claim that for themselves, who offer themselves. Those listed are Moses, David, Paul, and James, and Mary, those who have so deeply trusted in God, offered themselves to the project that their power, not seized, not taken, not individualized, becomes this resounding impact on generations to come. Jesus chose to trust. Mary chose to trust. Going into the darkness, the unknown, with hope. It is about trust that love wins that God is good, and that we are never alone. So many of us have been so deeply and thoroughly alienated by God that a simple invitation to trust and surrender without any context, without any acknowledgement of harm, would be abusive. How? How can we be like Mary? How can we be like Jesus when there have been so many who have spoken in the name of God to harm us, to harm those we love, to fight so-called holy wars, to keep children from life-saving health care? How do we trust in God when those who speak for God have been using words that cause death? When people will quote the scriptures on their Instagram with pictures of burning pride flags before walking into a queer club in Colorado with an AR-15, how are we supposed to trust and surrender to that God? 
The darkness contains God's infinite love, but it also is the hiding place, the obscuring of those who would seek to twist God's love, God's words, God's hope for their own power, for their own gain. They are not ready to surrender. They are seizing and exploiting and harming. These are the powers and principalities of the world. And we can feel so separated from God, looking into that abyss and knowing that if we walk into the dark, it is not only God's love that is there, But the promise of Advent, the promise of the scriptures, is that God's light has been there from the beginning. That what has been revealed was revealed in creation. That what has been revealed in creation has been revealed in you. I want to take you back to the very beginning of Genesis, when God is forming humanity out of the dust. That dust is simply dust, simply earth, simply the Adam, the earth person, is not alive until God's breath goes into them. We are animated by the light of God, by the spirit of God. The revelation of Jesus is alive in us, a spark of God's love. And no matter what has been held in mystery, That particular truth shines brightly in each of us. God has revealed herself to you in your flesh. Just as Jesus comes in the flesh, the Holy Spirit is alive in the flesh of each and every human being. God is alive, choosing your flesh, your breath to dwell in. You know who God is because they are the spark that lights your life. You know who God is because God, divinity, holiness, hope, love is the spark inside of you that burns and breathes, that shares power, and that changes the world. So despite the unknown, despite the powers and principalities, those things in the darkness that seek to obscure the mystery of God's love even further, that light in you shines in the darkness And the darkness does not overcome it. And so as we enter into a season of possibility, as we are invited to surrender, to trust, we do not need to trust in the God as described by the empires and powers of this world. We lay down the evil, twisted rhetoric of of the God who condones violence. We offer ourselves to the spark inside of ourselves, the God who will never leave us alone, that which has been revealed that connects us to the mystery and power of that which is. And the beautiful thing about a spark is that we only need the one, right? But when we gather, we find others, and it shines brighter and brighter. And that which is revealed gives us the hope and courage to march more deeply into the mystery and to discover what promises God has there as well. Today, during communion, one of the ways that you can connect to this community and to this moment is to light a candle. And you can come and light that candle as a a symbol of the revelation of Jesus, God coming to be with us, flesh and bone, or as the spark inside of you 
the trust you have in your own breath that God is with you, that God's love cannot be overcome. And as you light those candles together, you will see them burn more brightly. And as you move through the darkness, the promise, the invitation of this winter, I invite you to see in each and every person you love the spark, the revelation of God's goodness, that which has been made clear. And band together so that we may go confidently into the dark and discover the hope there. Will you pray with me? God of all things, we pray for your wisdom, for your confidence, for your hope. God, may we cling tightly to that which has been revealed, and may it give us the strength, the courage to wade into that which is a mystery. God, you make us safe through the presence of your love. You guard us against harm. And yet we choose to go more deeply into your world, the complex, the broken, the oppressive, to find sparks of you, to find hope and promise, and to build your kingdom that you have promised to us. God, be with us this season. Reveal your love more and more, and help us to trust, to surrender, to offer ourselves back to you that we may be a part of something holy, something great, and powerful beyond measure. Amen.